Dave's Psych Lectures, part of the Thunderbird 6 Podcasting Network. is because you have to think backwards, and that's never easy. So, we care a lot about type 1 um, We set it at 0.05. We set alpha, usually at 0.05. Um, our software gives us exact p-values. So no matter what software you're using, I know some of you guys I saw used online things or Excel, Google Spreadsheets, just by looking through these things, and it will give you an exact p-value. It'll tell you what's the likelihood of a type 1 error. Right? So it's clear that we care about this. That's a type 1 error false positive. So this is obviously very important to us. Um, why is type 1 error more important than type 2 error? Type 2 error is the false negative. And that's just a question I'm asking. I don't even know what the answer is. But it's like we don't care. It seems, on the surface, it looks like we don't care about type uh, 2 error. Which is sort of odd, really. Well, historically, uh, Fisher, the guy that invented um, now Severance, he actually believed that the null hypothesis was a real hypothesis, not a straw man. Um, he, he didn't infer that from his writing. So, I think that's one of the reasons he actually thought it was a real thing. And it's not, I mean, this, this is actually sort of asked backwards in some respect. I'm saying it's easier because all our methods are set up that way, but in fact, the math is easier, which allows our methods, our statistical methods, to be set up the way they are. Okay? Um, so the math behind everything uh, at a very deep level works that way. So actually, you'll see in a second why we can't, there's some things we just can't actually know. And it's easier, I think, sort of. That's what I'm looking for. Conceptually, to, to, to set up a situation, a hypothesis, where nothing happened, that's easy for us. We can examine that and say, what's the likelihood that nothing happened? Saying, what's the likelihood something happened? We have to know what the something is. Right? And think about our hypotheses. Our, our hypotheses tend to be just that they're very vague, aren't they? The null isn't vague, it's very specific. No difference. The alternative hypothesis is there is a difference. It doesn't say, and it was this. It just says something happened. It may be a little more precise than that, maybe something like mu1 is greater than mu2. But like an analysis of variance, which is what most of the course will be about, our hypothesis literally is two means are different. That's all it really ends up being, is that at least two means are different. It's not any more specific than that. So if it's not any more specific than that, um, it's hard to make probabilities up. Even just sort of to set them up to, to, to tear them down like a strong end. For AJ, we have to know how big the effect is. So in other words, if we were to set up the the probability of making that error, 
of making a type 2 error. We have to say, we know that the effect will be that group 1 is 5 bigger than group 2. Because that's going to be a different probability than 4, than 6, than 27, than 496. We actually have to know. And we don't know that. Right? So this is conceptually a difficult thing. And this is why setting up the probability here, it's hard. So it's much easier to say, what's the probability nothing happened? Well, that's easy. I just told you exactly what it is, that nothing happened. There's no effect. When I say what the effect is, I have to then tell you how big the effect is as well. When I say there is an effect. Now, in the best of all possible worlds, we would minimize alpha and beta. Alpha is the probability of And that would give us, therefore, the most power we could have. Power is 1 minus beta, the probability of making a correct rejection. Right? That's the probability of a type, type uh, oh, sorry, that, that's what power is. So once we know beta, if beta is small, then power is big. If something's there, we want to be able to find it. And we want to make very few mistakes. So in essence, that's what I just said here. If something's there, we want to be able to find it, and we want to make sure there are no mistakes we can make. There's only two kinds we can make. A type 1 and a type 2. There is some literature out there talking about a type 3 error, and a type 3 error is actually asking the wrong question. No, I'm serious. It's like saying, I'm asking a question about these data, but in fact, these data don't answer that question. So some people have called that a type 3 error. But that's sort of more, that's a more of a research design kind of thing. Okay? So if we could do this, things would be good. So if something's there, we find it, but we don't make an ass of ourselves. Or we make it very unlikely. Make these nice and small, and make the probability of finding something nice and big. Right? So, power again is the probability of rejecting HO given that HA is true. That's just a notation that you may not know. The probability of rejecting the null hypothesis given that's the line means the null hypothesis, or sorry, the alternative hypothesis is true. calculate that probability, which is what this whole lecture is going to be about. And I've been telling you how hard it is to know that alpha, or about uh, HA, but now I'm telling you we have to actually know, given HA is true, but then we have to know HA is true, and we're going to have to know by how much. This is what makes this thing hard to figure out, hard to wrap your head around. Okay. This is what makes it hard. Questions so far? <laughs> okay. This is actually from uh, uh, scan from the book. Let's say we have two distributions here. We have the HO distribution. Okay? That's the null hypothesis. And there's mu zero. And then we got H1 or HA, easy to one. And that is the alternative hypothesis. Note that I'm, this diagram is now presupposing we know the size of the effect. Right? Because it's showing the difference between H1 and H0. We know how big a difference it is. We also know the spread and the shape. Yeah, right? We're ever going to know that. But if we could, well, let's take a look at this. We're going to make a statistical decision where if we're greater than alpha, right? Or sorry, less, uh, if we go, if the critical value we get gives us an alpha that's very small. Right? That's right here. So. 
chance. Sure. Uh, but right here. Okay. Now, if this is true, that's alpha. If this is false, so that's not true, therefore this is true. Here's the probability that happened. The unshaded area under H1. That's our power. Now, what if we find the value over here? This is actually true. Then we've made a false negative. We've said nothing happened, but actually, because I just told you that this graph is true, something did happen. That's beta. So that's the probability of a type 2 error. So hopefully that diagram helps a little bit. Questions about that? Does, does that make sense, that diagram? Can you say that all again? Yeah, yes, I can. That's not a problem. That's not a problem. Okay. Try to ignore this one, H1. So what that's saying is HO is true. Remember the two by two matrix there that had reality, HO true, and then our statistical decision. Do not reject HO. Well, that's if we get a value in this big meaty part of the curve, right? Again, HO true, but we decide it isn't true. It can happen. It's unlikely. But it can happen. You know, uh, I could do a random, uh, you know, we could talk about the sort of quote IQ improvement thing, and I could, I could give it to some people and it actually just pretend it doesn't work, but I end up just giving it to smart people just by dumb luck. Random assignment, or sorry, random selection. I'm going to get the odd, the odd time, but it's just not representative. So I end up with, uh, I end up getting a whole bunch of people that are really smart. I then conclude, oh, it works, except it really doesn't. Now, does that make sense? Good. Now, ignore the HO distribution up there. Now take a look at H1. We still make the same decision. Our, all our decisions are based on HO. We're always assuming HO is true. <laughs> we always assume that. <clears throat> and all the equations you've ever learned, all those uh, formulas, always assume HO is true. So if that's the case, we're still working under this. So in fact, if it's less than there, we say nothing happened. But in fact, this is true. We made a mistake. What's the probability of that happening? Right there, this is big as you can see, it's usually much bigger than alpha. So that's going to be big. It's a type 2 error. Now, what's our power, which is what we really want? Right here. That's, it's greater than our critical value of our statistic. You know, the number you have to be look up in the t table and the z table. In fact, this is true. There's that nice big, big chunk here. You want to move as much power as you can get, and as little chance of a false positive, which is alpha. Or a false negative, which is beta. Does that help? When alpha and beta get smaller and its power bigger, is that what you're saying? When beta bigger? gets when beta gets smaller, power gets bigger. Okay. But in fact, when alpha gets smaller, power gets smaller. Look, if because if, if I'm making a decision that not, if I, I say I'm only going to accept it if it's one chance in ten thousand, then there's a good chance I'm going to miss something that's really there, right? On the other hand, let's think about, I said the other day, let's think about a public health issue. Let's think about something like 
secondhand smoke, and that's never been found to be less than 0.05. Okay? But there's no way it's good for you. It's exceedingly unlikely anyway. Um, and people have basically decided, look, a 0.05 level, we don't really need it in this case. Because first-hand smoke ain't very good for you, so it's unlikely it's good for you. So, so it doesn't reach 0.05. Yeah, but you know, let's be safe. Same thing happens when they do water testing. I was mentioning that the other day, when I lived in Cornerbrook, there were always boilers. Um, and I'm glad that there were false things, false positives. I, I don't care. I'd rather that than, you know, doubled over with cramps uh, and, and, and having diarrhea for three days. Or killing little children and, and, and old people. You know, as annoying as both of us could be. Okay, so hopefully this helps a little bit. Um, back before I used this, I used to just draw this, and I can't draw. So how would we increase power? Well, we could make alpha bigger. Let's just make it bigger. Well, we know what we can do. Make it 0.5, right in the middle. Hey, we'd have all kinds of power. We can make all kinds of mistakes, but we'd have all kinds of power. If something's there, we're going to find it. Also, we're going to a lot of times say something's there when it's not there. We can increase the difference between mu1 and mu0. Let me just move this one over. Let's take H1 and put it over there by the overhead projector. No overlap at all. We wouldn't make any mistakes at all. I know we can't do that. that. Again, that's why this stuff's kind of hard to think about, because we can't actually do that. But pretending that you have the power, right? not statistical power, just sort of, you know, power over the universe. Oh, you just did that. I don't know what that was where, I and mean, there was some sort of ritualistic thing I was doing there. Some kind of, if I was some sort of deity, I'd do a lot of, oh, that kind of thing, just for fun. Just to scare the worshippers. I wouldn't be a very good god. Because I'd make all the people screw with them. You know, it would be a bad idea. We could decrease. What about leaving this the same different? But let's, let's, make, let's make these, let's overlap. Let's, let's, let's tighten these guys up. So we'll decrease sigma. That's the, the standard deviation. Well, what are we doing here? Let's take a look at this. Hmm. We can make alpha bigger. That doesn't look like a great idea. Well, in certain cases it is. In certain cases we don't mind about too many false positives. Things like public health issues. Okay? Sometimes we're going to make that decision. That's fine. Sometimes we're going to decrease alpha. Right? Uh, we don't care as much about statistical power because we're afraid we're going to make an idiot of ourselves. If I'm going to say that there are psychic powers, I better be bloody damn sure. <laughs> Because I'm just about to make an idiot of myself. Our best bet here is variance. Um, making the scale smaller, variance smaller, would tighten up the distributions and get less overlap. See, because we can't, we know we can't really play with alpha very often. There are times 
But you're never going to get it. If you're doing your honors thesis and you say, well, I want to make the alpha point 0.15 because I want to have a lot of statistical power, your advisor is going to go. <laughs> That's really funny. Um, we can't really move mu1 and mu0. We can't. If we did, we'd be, like I said, we'd be people lining up to worship us on Sundays. We can't really, in fact, do anything about the variance itself, can we? Because it's a parameter. And you're thinking, well, we should stop now because there's nothing we can do. Now, the thing is, if we could somehow tighten up those distributions without moving the means, that would be awesome. Well, we don't use sigma, do we? We use sigma squared sub x bar, the, same, the standard deviation of the sampling distribution of the mean. Right? We, don't, we don't care about individual scores, we care about means, that's what we look at. And the variance of the sampling distribution of the mean by the central limit theorem is sigma squared sub x bar. And we have control over that. We do have control over that. So we can't move mu1. We usually practically can't change alpha. But we can affect this. Now, let me just see what a second here. Let's go back. Sorry. We affect that. Remember. How would we affect that? Well, remember this. That equals something. Sigma squared sub x bar equals sigma squared. Oh, we can't, wait a second, let me say, we can't do that with that. That's a parameter. Oh, that's the number of subjects. We can do something about the number of subjects. That's totally under our control. We are like gods. Well, no, we just select more people. Not really like gods at all. But we can pretend. <laughs> Make a statue of me, for I have selected more subjects. <laughs> we can do something about like that. How are we going to make this thing smaller? Let's make that bigger. It doesn't change, that's a parameter. But that does. All we do is we get more subjects, we get less overlap. Aha. Well, I see. That's going to give us less overlap in our sampling distributions and more chance of finding a difference if it's there. There might not be one. Right? It might be the case there isn't one. So if you were to do like um, an experiment and yep. you had, let's say, 100 participants yep. and you realized that was going to leave you with a lot of overlap, you would just add to the number of participants yeah. and you'd have higher power. Yeah, you would. Now, the amount you get, there's like a law of diminishing marginal return here, right? So the, every extra person adds less and less and less. The difference between 20 and 30 people is quite big. The difference between 90 and 100 is vanishingly small. 
once you get past, and we'll talk about this, but once you get past this uh, sort of a, there's a, it gets to a point where it gets silly, right? Because if there's no difference, or a very small difference, adding one extra person isn't going to help you if you've already got 200. Now, it's also the case that if you need 500 people to find a difference between two groups, maybe, I know it's a difference, isn't there? Maybe it's so meaningless we don't care. Right? It's, it's just some artifact. Or it could, it could be a real difference. There's no doubt about that. I was saying to Michael the other day, I think there's probably a correlation between any two variables you can think of. It's going to be so damn small that it doesn't matter. You know, the size of your little toe and pick something. Whatever the hell you want. Parallel. Yeah, there probably is something to do with that. In fact, there probably is because men have bigger little toes than women and men have shorter hair on average than women. Is, first of all, is that meaningful? Probably not. It's a spurious correlation. There's, something, there's a third variable causing it. But we can even go something you know, crazy like, you know, uh, number of cars you own and how many sex partners you've had. I'm trying to think of two things. But it's probably real. People that have probably more cars have lived longer and therefore have had more opportunity to have sex. That's, you know, I'm guessing. But are those interesting correlations? No, not at all. They're real. Right? But are they interesting? No. And in fact, sometimes they're so damn small that even if they are not something where we can attribute it to, to, to a third cause, it still doesn't really matter, right? If, we can, if, we're, if we're talking about explaining, you know, 0.00001% of the variance in something, who gives a crap, right? For, for a sense of completeness, no, we don't tend to, nobody tends to, we have physicists work that way, right? This ain't physics. Right? But yeah, I mean, if you add more, you will, if something's there, you'll find it. Think about the ultimate thought experiment. If I could test everyone in the world, I would then therefore know for certain if something was there. That's the ultimate amount of power because you're looking at a population. Okay. Our effect size, that's our difference between u1 and u0. We're going to have to standardize it. Because let's say we have two things that are really different, but there's a lot of overlap. Or two things that don't very good, very close together, but there's no overlap at all. So I want to standardize it. Well, um, effect size on D, <coughs> okay, it's got a difference, D for difference, is going to be mu1 minus mu0 over sigma. Okay? That's just, you know, just over the standard deviation. That's over the spread. That's what we're doing. So we're saying if it's a big spread, if these two if this quantity is the same, being a big spread, the effect size is smaller than if these two, this quantity is the same and it's a small spread. This is less over. It's over. Make sense? We said standards, that's all. Nothing fancy. Know that. Well, I think it's a friend. If we knew it, 
we wouldn't probably have to do the research now, would we? So one of the ways you can do it is by looking at prior research. <coughs> so if you look at prior, prior research, that'll tell you roughly what this could be. You can make a guess. Okay? That's one approach. And in fact, one of the things that I often do with my uh, honor students is when they say they want to uh, do their experiment, and everybody's always too ambitious. I always say, how many subjects do you want to write? And they always say, you know, 100. And they say, why? Want a lot of power. And I say, you always, everybody forgets that freaking lecture in January of last year. If you need 100 people, you think it's interesting? What are people, people typically using in experiments like this? when they find something, right? And they'll say, 20? Okay, let's go with 20. That's an easy way to do it. Just take a look at what everybody else does when they find effects. If they find something, that's right. Let's use what they did. And if it's something where people have done stuff and they've needed 500 people, I usually say, you know, this is probably such a small difference. We should focus in on something else. How about the same talk? So that's one way to know. The question you want to ask is how big a difference is big enough? And this gets back to what I was saying to Sarah, is that I don't, are we going to really know? Or sorry, are we going to really care about a difference that's so little overlap that it doesn't matter? Right? <laughs> so there are differences, they're all over the place. But they're so meaningless, there's so, there's so little overlap, it's like, who cares? Now, there might be things that a small difference is meaningful. It fits in with a theoretical construct we have, it might fit in with other research, and we might say, yeah, we're looking for something small and subtle. Um, paper I wrote once, I found an exceedingly small effect. It was three percentage points in a percentage correct thing. And it's very small, right? But it worked the same way in every single animal, and it all worked out. But that's a very small difference. And you say, well, why did you care, Dave? Well, because theoretically, it made a great deal of sense for that small difference to be there. So I defined this little subtle difference. I defined that. So this guy Cohen, he's got a way of quantifying this. So three kinds of effects. There's small effects, medium effects, and large effects. And then you can apparently supersize them, I believe. Um, thank you. No? Nothing? All right. A small effect has a D of 0.2. That's 85% overlap. 85% overlap. A medium effect is 0.5D, and that's two-thirds overlap, 67%. And finally, a large effect is 0.8, and that's 53% overlap. If you don't know, go with medium. <laughs> it seems fair to me. Right? If you don't know. So you're saying that the null hypothesis and the alternative hypothesis are almost completely overlapping. Do you care? Is it theoretically important? Right? 
Yes, I know we all want to know how everything works. I get that. I too want to know how the universe works. When I, when I first met my mother-in-law and she said, why do you do work on chickens? Are you trying to, about their memory, are you trying to determine something about Alzheimer's disease or help people with brain tumors or things? I said, no, I just, I don't really, I don't care about that. I want to know how the universe works. Just a little tiny part of it. So just cause, right? Yes, I understand we all know how everything works. But if it's such a small difference and it's not predicted by anything that you can explain, etc., etc., like a theoretical basis, it may not be that interesting. Like I said, I've done stuff that the overlap was probably about ninety percent, and I've done other stuff with with timing. Um, animal timing, where we were explaining 0.05 of the variance, because people had explained the other 99.94, we got up to 99.99. That was theoretically interesting, but usually no, usually no. So we tend to go here. As a rule, I mean, just because it's, it's, it's a nice, it's a middle ground. Questions so far? Do you understand sort of conceptually? Don't worry too much about it. There's not been a whole lot of mathy stuff yet. So essentially we want a difference of 0.5. No, we want a difference where we have 67% overlap. The difference of 0.5 means u1 minus u2 over the variance. Right? That's all it is. It's just a way to quantify the effect size. But think about it in terms of overlap. Two-thirds overlap, that's enough where well, there's one-third that doesn't overlap. Right? Think of it that way. Whereas with a small difference, 0.85, we've got 15% where it doesn't overlap. That's very small. Okay. Other questions? I want to make sure this is clear. Because I know this is really backwards. I totally get this is a backwards way of thinking. Some of you look just like you, you, you have a question, you don't know what it is yet. <laughs> I'm not going to name names or look closely at anyone for a long period of time, but I can see that some of you want to ask, please, I'm sure, what the question is. So just ask something. Anything, you know, about what I had for breakfast. Just something to get the ball rolling. Bagel. Montreal bagel. Get a metro. Is it good? Yeah, but you gotta, you gotta, well, the Montreal bagels are different, right? And they only have them now and then, so whenever I go in, you just buy all of them. <laughs> that's why there's never any there. My daughter and I figured this out, and then it turned out that some other bastard was doing this. So, so if the bagels are overlapping a lot. <laughs> you have a question. This, this makes sense. We're in the overlap. And we have to imagine. That we know it, and we can't know it. Dude. So it's something we can't know, but we have to pretend. It's kind of like acting. Okay.
So we're going to have to somehow combine this idea of effect size with the effect of sample size. We want to come out with, what I want to do by the end of today is be able to show you if you think your effect is, say, 0.5, which is what we typically use, we want a 0.5 d, we want a certain power, we want to have you know, 0.8 for our power. How many subjects do we need? That's, that's the question. And remember, subjects don't have to be people, they can be rats, they can be plants. They can be plants. In fact, Fisher's first work was all about plants. Plants are boring, they don't behave. They don't give me the stuff with Venus flytraps, okay? They're boring. They're going to be a cool plant because they actually eat things. That's kind of cool. They have the triffids here. Look at that, that's a funny looking thing. That's a, a lowercase Greek letter delta. It's the way you look at it. Who is that? It's a weird looking thing. It's like an almost done eight. <laughs> you know? That's the delta statistic. And what I'm going to tell you about today is how to do this for t tests, but this all works also for, for Nelson Burns. It's easiest to understand for t tests. Delta equals the difference, that D thing, that Cohen thing, right? So we usually put 0.5 in there. And then how the variance is affected as a function of n. And that's going to come from what statistic we're using. So this is generally, but usually, we know what D is going to usually be 0.5. And then we take a look at our formula for our test, whatever test we're going to use, and we say, how does it affect the variance as a function of n, see? F of n is how n affects the given uh, test. So for a t-test, F of n equals square root of n. Now this gets pretty simple, because look, now that means 0.5 times the square root of n. Oh, that's actually not that bad at all. Right? But if it was for analysis of variance, it then isn't a square event, it's going to be n. Okay? But we're not doing analysis of variance yet. It's just square event. It's not that bad. All you have to do is take a look at, your, at the bottom part of any formula you have for a statistical test. Because that's always where the, where the uh, sum of n is. So if you look at the test, Right? Just a plain old vanilla t test. Where's the part of what n? Oh, it's right there. It's the square root of n. Oh, easy. Just look what you do to n. With, with analysis of variance, you're going to have n, well, you're going to have n minus 1 at the bottom. There's some squares, but you put in n. So you see that? It's just a step. That's a thin old vanilla key formula. And I looked at that. And where's the end bit? Oh, it's right there. It's a square root of n. All I do is look up a formula. Well, I know that. You teach this stuff enough, you actually know the formula. You'd be surprised you guys all know it too. Please don't think you do. 
No, really, wait till your first open book test and you'll be going, why, why, why do they even need to bring my books? I, I actually know what I'm doing. Seriously. I'll still hear you all feverishly turning pages. Much harder for me to watch Netflix while you're writing a test when these kind of things are happening. <laughs> That's what Netflix is for. For professors. For professors to mark to watch things while people are writing their tests. That's what it was invented for. I mean, that's my story. I don't really think that's. It's a commercial. Well, there's no commercials. No. They should, should, they, should, they should say that. But there's a Rogers ad. You guys watching streaming TV while the class is running. So this really isn't that bad. This the calculations. Well, it looks crazy at the beginning because you got a half finished eight and a bunch of brackets. It actually isn't that bad. If you know D, and I got that in quotes because you don't, but if you say, I'm interested in a 0.5, and that's typically what you do. You might look and say, look, for past research, people find really small differences. Maybe I'll make mine 0.2. Or the theory I have, and all the other data points will be 0.2. Or it might be, I'm about to blow the lid off something. I'm going to say that everybody else is wrong. I'm about to say the whole idea of what Tolvin thought about episodic and semantic memory is completely and utterly bullshit. I better make it like six. <laughs> you know, because it seems he was probably right. Well, six would be a bit high. But, you know, let's go with one or, or 0.9 or 0.8, whatever. I'm on a fishing expedition. Sometimes research works like that. It's really what it's supposed to do. But sometimes you go, I'm just going to find out what happens. Many of you will uh, do an honors thesis next year. And you will get asked a question by Lori Bloomfield when she's running the class. And the, or, the question will be this. Who cares? Because she asked everybody that question. Right? That's what she does. So you guys know this. But when you first present your idea, Lori goes, yeah, who cares? And that's when you're supposed to say, well, today. Well, there's a reason this is interesting. Not, I thought that would be cool. Because that's not really how you come up with an idea. That's how you're supposed to. There are times. <coughs> There are times you don't remember what Doesn't usually work for a thesis. That's usually when you're like a graduate student and you've got some free time. All that free time you have as a graduate student, there's tons of it. <laughs> or when you're, you know, postdoc, faculty member, you think, yeah, be neat. I wonder if you just go do it. In that case, you look, you're just looking for stuff. Ah, let's go with point two. Just want to see if something may be there, real small effect. If it's there, then I'll, I'll, I'll think more, more carefully about this. Those things usually, by the way, don't lead to anything. They're usually just sort of little exercises you do. But the thing I talked about explaining extra variance and timing, it started out that way. My friend Rob and I, there was old equipment sitting around. There, was, there were chickadees, always in our lab, and there, were old, there was old gear around. And we both thought timing work was neat, so we started testing chickadees and timing work, and we didn't even know what we were going to do at first. We just trained them on the, on the task. It was running an Apple IIe with boards we soldered together. It was amazing. It was a lot of fun. So let's say we know D is 25. <coughs> we don't know it, but that's what we're going to say. We usually pick that, by the way. <laughs> and we want a power of 0.8. If something's there, we want to have an 80% chance of finding it. Where did that come from? I don't know. It seemed reasonable at the time. Gee, I wouldn't want 100 yet. Remember, that's going to make it really hard. Also, if something's there at point eight, the chances are I'm going to find it. But if I don't, someone else will. So I'm not going to get too concerned. Right? 
So let's say we want a PowerPoint. There's an appendix in your book called Power. I'll show you how this works. It's just really using the other table. So D is 0.5, 1 minus beta, that's the power, it's going to be 0.8. Alpha equals 0.05, because unless we have a very compelling reason, we're going to keep it that way even though it's really stupid. Okay? Not a fan of this. Uh, Brandon and I keep threatening about teaching a course together. We have some ideas about doing a, like a team taught, where the two of us actually run the class together, and basically each of the two of us yelling at each other. Um, and we've both talked about these kind of things in Bayesian statistics and a whole other approach. But, you know, you could do that. You could change it, but typically you can't. Do not discuss non-significant effects. Make sure they're called participants. <laughs> Okay, there's the appendix called power. That's a photocopy, obviously, or a scan of it. You just uh, do that. We can zoom in. So, we wanted. Oh, there we go. So, remember, here it is again. Here are your parameters. They really, I shouldn't say parameters, bad word to use. Uh, I'm not using it being like population parameters. D is 0.5, 1 minus beta is 0.8, and alpha equals. 0.05. Now here's our table. Alpha, look, it's up here. Right? And that's in this column here. D, oh look, D's right here. Oh no, it's delta, I'm sorry. Uh, right. 1 minus beta, so there's our power level. We're gonna, we have to find 0.8. It's right there. And that's why I did this. Make all this disappear. Okay, so again, 0.05, and we want to find the power of 0.8. Look at this right there. <laughs> right? Oh, it's right there, yeah. So our delta, now we're going to read from there, is 2.8. Now we have the delta, we have the D. Oh, now we just solve for the square root of n. So really, you're just looking something up in a table. That's all you're doing. It's nothing fancy. <coughs> Where did I get this crazy thing? I cross-freaking multiply, okay? <laughs> it's, don't, that wasn't magic. And I'm solving for n. It was square root n, so I square the damn thing. 2.n equals 2.8 over 0.5 squared. So that tells us, let's go back, n equals 31.36. So if the power is 0.8, the difference is a 0.5 difference. We then look up what the delta is going to be, which is 2.8, and we put it into the hand equation. And all I did, again, all I did here is I cross multiplied so I could, or sorry, I also isolated the n. <coughs> and I also originally isolated the square root of n. That's algebra that you teach in grade 5. I isolated a, something on one side. That's all I did. It wasn't magic. 
I'm not Harry freaking Potter. My disability cloak. I'm wearing my statistics cloak. <coughs> How do you that Harry Potter thing? Doesn't kill me? A lot of my friends, like as adult, I mean, look, remember it came out when I was 35, okay? So, but friends of mine were they didn't read it, they loved it, not me. No, no, no. I'm not into that whole swords and crap, magic and. Hmm? It's like, oh, that Lord of the Rings crap. Same thing. You know what I'm saying? It's all that. Oh, I have Sauron and all this. That, was a, that turned into a decent impression in the end, didn't it? Um, <laughs> not into that stuff. I don't know. You want to talk about that? You're not, let's talk about real, like, actual knights. You know, and exploiting the peasants and all that stuff. That I find interesting. Anyway, just saw for that you get 31.3. What do I do? Round it off, damn it. Make it 32. She said round it. Wouldn't it be 31? Well, let's just be conservative and crazy and say we get one more person. <coughs> it's interesting. There's a reason a lot of experiments have 30 people in them. It's kind of a magic number there. It's kind of cool. Because you would usually want a power around 0.8 and you'd want... Overlap 0.5. So people usually offer when they're starting something out, they go, yeah, it's got 30 people. That should be enough. Let's increase the power. Let's make it 0.99. Let's be crazy. If it's there, we're going to find it now because we say we're going to find a power 99%. We're only going to make, we're going to make it less than alpha. We're going to live on the edge. We are breaking all the rules. We're flying into the danger zone with Kenny Loggins and Tom Cruise. <laughs> I hate Kenny Loggins. <laughs> I don't really think it's boring 70s or anything. Anyway, now, you can go look up the table if you want. The, the, the delta now is, point, is 4.2. So you have 0.05, you find 0.99, it's 4.2. You set it back into the formula. And you end up needing 70, all up, 71 people. So to go up by about 25% in power, a little less than 25%, right? Because 19 out of 80, so it's a little more than 25, a little, a little less than 25%. We've more than doubled the number of subjects we Oh, you'll, if it's there, you'll find it, man. You've also cost yourself extra time in collecting and getting subjects. You've cost yourself extra time in getting data. And you've also cost yourself time and money. Right? But you'll find it. If it's there, you'll find it. Yeah. Would this be the number of subjects in each group? Oh, uh, no, because it uh, could be, uh, in this case, this would be the number of subjects in each group if you had a, sorry, it would be a total number of subjects if you had a two-sample t-test. Yeah. But a one-sample t-test, it would be the number of subjects in each group. Oh, sorry, it would be the number of subjects yeah. in both. Right. Yeah. yeah. <coughs> what the hell is delta anyway? Called the non-centrality parameter. 
don't assume HO, don't we? Right? I've been saying this all along. In fact, remember we went through the t-test and said, statistic, HO. So if we assume HO, uh, under HO, the expected value of t is zero. Because if HO is true, the difference between t, let's go with a straight little vanilla t-test, the difference between t, if HO is true, this is the same as this. So the expected value of t is zero. We don't get zero, but the expected value is zero if there really is no effect. So, how likely is it we'll find a value of delta that is greater than t at 0.05? That's what this says. And delta, in fact, is just, we just change that into this. In this case, delta equals x bar minus mu over s divided by square root of n. Um, but we have to actually assign a value to delta. And it's going to be the value of our, it's going to be our critical value when we look up the tricks. So if you're interested in what delta is, that's what it is. I wouldn't worry about it. I think they put heroin in these TikToks. I've become completely addicted to TikToks. The sad one. I think it's the vanilla part at the beginning of it. So it's actually that. Delta equals this, which is not equal to zero. If you're interested, I mean, you know, somebody else, what is delta? That's what it is. We never know. See, by actually knowing delta, you have to actually know the differences, but we can't know them. We have to know the spread of the two, but we have to know the alternative unknown hypothesis distributions and actually know them. So it's a theoretical thing. But if you go further, go to graduate school, take graduate statistics, you will see that, and someone will say it was delta, and then you can say it's not a centrality problem. Yeah, wouldn't that? That, that Algoma, little school Algoma, what you do with U of T? Well, actually, U of T didn't do this as well. Yeah. I, I taught the third year stats at U of T once, so that's a grad school. Yeah. Would you do Western? Because they'll do Western. It's losers now. <laughs> oh, there's too much stats. It's too hard. They took half the stats out of the program. No, it's too hard. We used to have 12 credits of stats at the Western. I got to graduate school. I was like, what do you mean you guys don't know how to do this? For the first course, the second one was like, I'm going to lose my whole idea of my job, but I'm never going to. You know, so. <laughs> so the take-home message is this is possible to do. You can do these calculations. Now, the nice thing is, in fact, there are even tables out there. Um, if you get a really a higher-end stats book, and this is a pretty high-end stats book we have, but if you have this is the book I have called Experimental Design for the I think it's called Experimental Design for Behavioral Sciences by Kirk. Um, in the back, it's actually got graphs where you say, how many groups do I have? How many, what's the power I want? And you read this graph that says you want 63 people. So it's even easier to actually do the calculation. This is something that's possible to do. And even if it's just down to the point of what do people normally do when they find a difference in this literature? If you just even do that, you're going to be ahead of a lot of people because so many people get way too, they just think the more the better. And I think as you saw there, there's a real diminishing return. Questions about this stuff? So if you get a false negative, yep. but 
you want to retest it, you change the power. You change the what? The power? Oh, you could. Or you just try to say to yourself, look, I know this is there. There's no way this isn't there. This is just a sample. This is a sample here. Let me try again. Okay. You know, because you know, one time in a twenty, you're going to find someone. If you're testing uh, uh, subjects on, can they tell you what card you have? If they're psychic, one time out of twenty, somebody's going to be right. When the first guy's right, you don't go, "Oh, they're psychics." You go, "Let me try that again." Right. On the other hand, if you find, for example, that there's no difference where there really should be one, you go, eh, I better do this again. If I were to blow the lid off something, if I were to say there actually is no difference between men and women on running speed, randomly selected, I better be damn sure that I'm going to be, say something really silly. Right? So a lot of times you just miss something. The important thing, just try it again. It might be the case, though, that it's often a problem of design, too. You look and you go, why didn't I find it? Oh, I see. My stopwatch was broken. Dave, why yeah. is it better to do it twice instead of just have a few more participants? Well, what she's saying is she's done the experiment and finished. Oh. Right? So you've already collected the data. Well, you might be able to get more subjects. <clears throat> it's true. Um, but there are times when you can't. Right? Everything's done. I mean, I know when I did the example of don't discuss non-significant effects, it's 0.0504. I collected all my data. I was finished. I wasn't even living in Toronto anymore. I wasn't going to email the people there and say, remember all those researchers, could you just run three more birds for two more days? Well, you know, in fact, it would have been not even run three more, just literally run the birds for two more days. It would have dropped below 0.05. So it becomes impractical. So a lot of times, practicality gets in the way, too. If there are times it's impossible to... Uh, and this is why I often say this to honor students, they say, well, most people need, like I said, most people need 500 people to find an effect. I said, that's half our damn school. You can't test half the school. Well, you could. I don't care. Go ahead. You taking any other courses for the rest of your life? You could do it. Right? So, and in fact, somebody would tell you that at a big school too, right? because it's still, even if it isn't half the school at Western or U of T, it still takes you a long time to test 500 people. Then there's some things. This is the beauty of doing. Um, if, some of you guys know Stephanie Tannen, who did her honors thesis with me last year. And Stephanie, basically doing um, spatial psychophysics, she tested like five people because everybody works exactly the same way. A lot of perception stuff, they'll use one person because you can. Because as long as you have, say, normal visual perception, it works the same in everybody. Most things don't work that way. Most of how many more than one observation? More than one subject. Lots of observations, one subject. Yeah, please. Is beta a fixed number? Is beta what? I like a fixed number. Ah. Because you said to increase the power, you mm -hmm. make alpha bigger, but can't you decrease beta? Does it work like that? The only way we can do, we can increase beta without playing with alpha and practically is by getting more subjects. Okay. That's the only way we really can do it. And is it a fixed number? Yes, in the very grand scheme of things, but we can't really know it. Okay. Whereas alpha, we say, that's one of our... Good question. Okay. Anything else? Now, there's a test a week from today, yes? Mm -hmm. um, might do a little bit of stuff on Tuesday, maybe some review if you have questions. Okay? Does that sound sensible, or do you want to just have a regular class? Review. 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 Oh.
okay, okay, okay. The people have spoken. All right, guys. Thanks. <laughs> Copyright share like 2.5 Canada. Uh, feel free to redistribute the information as you see fit, but please don't make any money out of it. And if you do, you got to tell me because I'm reserving that right. Giving up all the other ones, including uh, mash it up any way you want, okay? Um, also, of course, give me attribution. If you want to get a hold of me, my email address is dave.broadbeck, B-R-O-D-B-E-C-K, at algomau.ca. My website is people.auc.ca slash broadbeck slash blog. Uh, most of the music, uh, all the music's Podsafe, and most of it comes from GarageBand.com or the Podsafe Music Network. See you next time.